welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Okay, we're going to continue our series. This is the second to last part of our series. We're up to part 21. We're going to finish with part 22. That makes this the second and last part. <laughs> Pretty deep, I know. So up to part 21 of our series, Rebels, Riots and Revolutionaries, which is simply an overview of the book of Acts. Acts is a book in the Bible. And uh, we thought it good as a church to go through certain books in the Bible, Acts being one of them. And uh, as you can see, having taken 21 parts already, had we gone through this book line upon line, verse upon verse, it would take us for years. So we thought, you know what, we'll take a few weeks and we'll go through the book of Acts, but we'll do it as an overview. And none more so than tonight. I'm going to cover a whole number of chapters tonight so that we can actually finish up next week. Okay. And uh, each week we have themed each message with a certain title and tonight's no exception. I'm looking at the power of your testimony tonight. That's the title of my message, the power of your testimony. And the reason I feel to share this is because Paul who is the main character of the second half of the book of Acts. Up to Acts chapter 12, you have a main character in that of Peter. And then it's like the guy who's been recording the book of Acts, he goes on a journey with this guy called Paul. It doesn't mean that Peter was overlooked. It doesn't mean that Peter wasn't doing anything significant. It just means the writer of the book or the guy holding the camera went on with Paul. And so he was filming Peter in the first half of Acts. And then he goes on to film Paul in the second half of Acts. And so the second half of Acts is filled with this guy by the name of Paul. And one of the things you soon learn about this guy is that he was a man that was called of God to do some incredible things, absolutely. Um, But he was often misunderstood in some of the things that he did and some of the things that he said. He was misunderstood by his friends. He was misunderstood by the church. He was misunderstood by religious people. Uh, He was misunderstood by his opponents. And this often resulted in arguments, confusion, confusion and conflict. And I don't know about you, but if you live in a field whereby you are getting a lot of opposition where you are dealing with a lot of conflict, it's easy to get discouraged, yeah? And uh, I'm sure Paul was not immune to being discouraged. But one thing I've learned from his life as I read through the book of Acts is how he responds. And I could highlight many areas in which he responds, but in these next few chapters of Acts, we see Paul responds with his testimony. Now, a testimony is simply a story. He responds to his opponents. He responds to all the misunderstandings with his story. And his story helped get him through those moments in his life. And the reason is because is that your testimony, whether you know this or not, is very, very powerful. Your testimony can be the thing that keeps you focused. Your testimony can be the thing that stops you giving up. Your testimony can be the thing that helps you to overcome the circumstances and the situations in which you face. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, it says they overcame, okay, overcame what? Anything. 
overcame who? Whoever. They overcame whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, whatever the person. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, the work that Jesus Christ had done and by the word of their testimony, what they had to say about what Christ had done for them and in their life. And they did not love their lives so much as they shrank back from death. In other words, they were happy to die because they would rather give up Uh, or sorry, rather not give up their story than just go for a life of comfort and ease. And they were encouraged greatly by the things that they had to say about their story. On top of this, Paul's testimony and story was an incredible tool in helping people in their circumstance and situation. And so Paul, we see, shared his testimony in chapter 22 of Acts to the crowds. We see in Acts 23, he shared his testimony before the Sanhedrin, which was the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they were attacking Paul about his beliefs. They were attacking Paul about what he was preaching. And Paul shared his testimony with them. So he shared it with the crowd. He shared it with the religious leaders in Acts 23. In Acts 24, he shares his testimony before the governor, Governor Felix. And Felix leaves Paul in prison and uh, he does that as a favour to the Jews. It's not good leadership. It's not good governing of a nation or city when you're just being paid off by certain people. But Felix left Paul in prison as a favour to the Jews. And in that time, there was a change of government and there was a new governor, Festus. And we see that in Acts 25. And so Paul has an opportunity to speak to Festus and guess what he shares? His testimony. All these chapters, Paul is sharing his testimony, his testimony. I don't know if you've ever read the end of chapter. It's like he's just repeating himself. And that's exactly what he's doing. And that's exactly what you and I should do. We should repeat ourselves. Because to repeat ourselves is to remind ourselves. And so here's Paul sharing to these governors. And then in Acts chapter 26, he's not only sharing to governors, but King Agrippa, who was a grandson of Herod the Great, he comes to town and he hears about Paul. He said, I'd like to meet this guy. And so Paul has a meeting with the king and Paul is not uh, perturbed by royalty. And so the thing he shares is his testimony. So whether it's to kings and queens, governors or generals, whether it's to religious leaders or the crowd, Paul just shares his testimony. And it's an incredible strength to him and it should be an incredible strength to us. And what I want to do in our short time tonight is look at our testimony. Because many of you would say, well, I don't really have a story. I don't have a testimony. And I would say, yes, you do. And there are a number of key ingredients to your story. And I hope this will help you to tell your story and that you would be loud and proud and that it would be the thing that keeps you focused. It would stop giving, it would stop you giving up and giving in. And it would also help you to help others in explaining what Christ means to you and what he's done for you. And so I'm almost embarrassed by the simplicity of what I've got to share tonight. But it's amazing how often the simple things are some of the most powerful things. And so I want to look at four key ingredients to you telling your story. And we'll see it in the life of Paul. Paul does this every time he shares his testimony. And the first thing is simply this. 
The key ingredient, first key ingredient to your testimony is what you were before Christ, what you were before you met Christ, what you were before you became a Christian. It's part of your story. It's part of your testimony. In Acts chapter 22, verses 1, it says, Brothers and fathers, and can I say mothers and daughters, listen now to my defence. And get this, it says, when they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Just as an aside, let me stop there for a moment. When you share your testimony, you have to share it in a language that people understand. They became quiet and said, oh, oh, he's speaking in Aramaic, he's speaking our language, go on. I know when we've had opportunity to share our story and we've done it in the way we've done it. You take a situation like the bloke, you start putting on beer, burger and boxing nights. We're like, okay, you're talking my language, go on. You know, I'm not against King James English. I just don't understand it. And so if I read the King James English version of the Bible, I'm not here to say it's wrong. I'm here to simply say I'd struggle reading it. And you would struggle to understand it. And you might be like that young man I spoke about this morning who just nods off, falls asleep. And if you were sitting in a window on a two or three story building, you might just die like he did. And so when he spoke in Aramaic, they, they, they went quiet and they began to listen. When we say, why didn't you come to our church and we've got this event called The Bloke and there's going to be some beer and there's going to be a burger and there's going to be some boxing. People go, oh, okay, that's kind of my language. Because your testimony has to have connection. It has to have buy-in. And you can share some incredible truths. But if it's not connecting with your audience, it doesn't matter how good it is. If I can speak another language and I don't, let's be honest, I, try, I have enough trouble speaking English. But if I can speak another language and preach the gospel to you in Chinese, I could share my story in Chinese and it could all be true and powerful and wonderful and amazing, but you wouldn't understand it. And I think some guy, sometimes as Christians, we share our story, but it's like a foreign language to people. Because we've been so used to a certain environment that we use words and we use phrases and we use sentences that people just don't understand. Now, as a Christian, I stand before you and tell you I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, but that language is really unhelpful out there. Because that sounds disgusting. It sounds gross. But if you understand its meaning, it's powerful. But I don't expect somebody who's not churched or not educated in the ways of the Word of God to understand that. And I don't believe it's their place to have to change and understand me. I've got to get down to their level and speak their language. And Paul speaks in a language they understand, so they become quiet because now he's got a connection. So these four key ingredients have to be on this platform. You've got to use language that people understand. Uh, a number of our young people and some older people, Moggy, um, went into town on Friday night and as they often do on a regular basis and went to the soup kitchen. And you know what? Just having food to hungry people is a language they understand. And I know Dwayne's here on the front row. He heads that whole uh, ministry up. 
I know once you're speaking their language, conversations come from that. And I know they've had many incredible conversations with many incredible people as a result of food being the language for hungry people. And so whatever your story is, make sure you're sharing it in a language they understand. So drop the Christianese. Drop all that yays, thous and verilies, if that's your thing. Drop it. It's unhelpful because no one I know speaks like that. It's amazing. No one talks in old English and you come to church and it's yay. (laughs) And you know yay in the old English can mean yes and it can mean no. It can actually mean both. You go yay, yes, no, I mean no, yay. It gets really confusing. Anyway, I'm going to move on. Time is getting away from me. I'm just having too much fun. Sorry. So you've got to speak in that language I understand. You got it? It says, then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city under Gamaliel. I was taught, sorry, I was thoroughly trained in the law of your fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way. I persecuted the church. I persecuted Christians. Some of you here tonight, you persecute Christians. You persecute us. You do. And you're welcome. You mock the church. In actual fact, this church is made up of many people who once upon a time mocked the church. Riley, second row, mocker of the church. He didn't just mock the church. He put people to death. You're a Christian. Bang. If you've done that, please don't tell me. And if you feel the need to take it out on anyone, see says, okay. He's just telling his story. I arrested both men and women. This is a bad dude. He didn't just pick on the men. He picked on the women too. He arrested them. And they had them thrown into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. So this was public knowledge. You know, you can ask others. They remember me. You get around Riley's old friends. I say, I, I remember Riley. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus. And I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So he wasn't just punishing Christians in his hometown. He thought, I'm having too much fun. I want to go and evangelize my hatred for the church. And I want to take this hatred that I have and spread my hatred. It's part of his story. This is what Paul was before he met Christ. This is what Paul was before he came in contact with Jesus. This was his beginning. This was his genesis. If you want to sort out anything in your life, you've got to go back to the beginning. The beginning is the only thing that makes sense. You know, there's this show being relaunched again on television right now called A Can of Worms. And we get to listen to the opinions of people. And whether they think this is morally correct or this is morally correct, incorrect, correct. What do you think? Yes, no. But without a beginning, anything goes. And so in order to sort yourself out, you've got to go back to the beginning. And that's what Paul does. And for you to tell your story, you've got to go back to the beginning. 
And many people have a down and out, sex, drugs, rock and roll type story. And if that's you and that's your story, that's awesome. You're welcome. And I want to encourage you to tell your story. But can I also say this? That if you did not have a sex, drugs, rock and roll, hard luck story, don't feel like less of a Christian. I'm tired of Christians making up stories about what they were just in order to get an audience. Almost as if, you know, my life before Jesus wasn't that bad, so I better make up something bad. Lying's not the answer, people. Some people tell some great stories. You know, I killed 57 people. Say, really? No, not really, but I just sounded good. Got your attention though. No matter what you were before Christ, it's part of your story. Be loud and proud. Tell it. You know, you know my story begins with growing up in a Christian home with incredible privileges. As a result, I was taught to think a certain way. And in order uh, to think a certain way, it meant I stayed away from certain things. And I had the privilege of making some good decisions in my life. And as a result, I've never been stoned. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never got drunk. And I thank God for that. Thank God I didn't have to sleep around with 57 other women. I thank God that I found the wife of my youth at an early age. I thank God for that. And if that's your story, be loud and proud about that. Don't feel like less of a person or less of a Christian because you don't have this horror story. I mean, what an amazing story that you can live in today's environment and abstain from sex before marriage and abstain from getting drunk and abstain from getting stoned and abstain from all these drugs and all the stuff that's out there. That's an incredible story. Thank you. But if you were a stoner like Riley, (laughs) you're welcome. But I don't want to glorify one person's story over another. I'm trying to get you to be loud and proud about your story. And it starts with what you were before Christ. So number one ingredient to your testimony is what you were before Christ Secondly, what Christ has done for you. In Acts 22 verse 6, Paul says, he's told his beginning, he's told his genesis. And then he says, but about noon, all this being true about me, about noon, I came near Damascus. Remember, he was heading to Damascus for what purpose? To destroy the church. Suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. Prior to meeting Christ, Paul was hell-bent on destroying the church. But part of his testimony was also what Christ had done for him. 
And it was one day when Paul was on his way to Damascus, riding on his high horse, a bright light comes and he gets knocked off his high horse as there's this encounter with Christ. That was his story. If you tell me that you were riding a horse and you had this bright light, I would say, it's probably not your story, it's probably Paul's. But you do have a story. Again, picking on Riley. He's just in my line of fire tonight. Sorry, mate. But Riley's story would be something like this. Persecutor of the church, mocker of the church, not interested, but he was married to a girl who was keen to come to church. So he went to church to please her. And he got on his white horse and rode into church via a car and came and didn't really enjoy it, thought it was a bunch of freaks, but he was intrigued. He thought these people are too friendly to be fake and it intrigued him enough to come back. That's no less a story than Paul's. What happened when you met Christ? What did it look like? That first time you went to church. Norm's story is a bit longer because it took him so flipping long. <laughs> You're just going to have to tell your story a bit shorter, mate. <laughs> so what has Christ done for you? How does his death, burial and resurrection affect and influence your life. I think Riley been coming five, six, seven, eight weeks, give or take. And after doubting and asking questions and doubting and asking questions and doubting and asking questions, the whole time God was working on his heart. And the conviction against what we stood for was getting less and less and less. There was a moment when Christ came into his life. It's his story. It's powerful. No more powerful or less powerful than Paul's and no more powerful or less powerful than yours. The third ingredient is simply this, what Christ has done in you. And this is one of the most powerful elements of your testimony. What you were before you met Christ, what you were when you met Christ and what Christ has done for you since. In Acts 22 verse 11 Paul says, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus. Remember, he'd been blinded by this light. Because of the brilliance of the light that had blinded me. It actually says it there. There we go. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. When Paul received Christ... He was able to see physically, literally, practically, but also he'd had a spiritual awakening where he'd able to see spiritual things for the first time in his life. And Paul testified, this is what Christ has done for me. I was blind, but now I see. Now, if you weren't blind, don't say you were blind. Just to, get, you know, just to, to give God a hand in your testimony. But Paul was physically blinded and he was physically healed. My question is, what has Christ done for you? Since you've 
given your life to Christ. I know of many testimonies where people were fearful and yet now have a peace. I know many people that were purposeless in this world. They had no purpose or meaning for living and now they have purpose and meaning. Because we're not here trying to convince people. But your testimony is powerful. So like, I, I can't explain it all. I don't understand every word in the Word of God. But this I do know. What do you know? What has Christ done for you? I know that Christ in me means I have a purpose and a meaning to my life that is so wonderful. And it's something that is missing in this world today. And I want to be loud and proud about that. The sense of peace that comes through fulfilling your purpose and plan, that I'm not a random accident, that I'm not here by mistake, that I'm here called and planned and purposed by God, that He's put me here for something more than just getting married, for something more than just raising kids. He's put me here for a purpose to influence and help others. And the fourth ingredient is what has Christ done through you. In Acts 22, verse 21, Paul says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, and I'll send you away to the Gentiles. In other words, God was commissioning Paul to be his voice, his hands, his feet, his eyes, to a people that were non-Jewish. That, that was how God was using Paul. And the book of Acts is full of Things that God had done through Paul's ministry. People raised from the dead, eyes that were blind were now opened, ears that were deaf were now opened. People came to salvation. They were some of the things that God did through Paul's life and Paul's ministry. Part of your testimony is what has God done through you? How has God used you? Has he used you in the area of healing? We thank God that I've had the privilege of praying for people and seeing some incredible things God has done. I thank God for that. Pete and I have been brothers all our lives. How about that? But we've been leading this church since its inception. And we've been praying together prior to that for a number of years. And we really have had the privilege of seeing God do some incredible things through us. Seeing so many seated here, seated here tonight is testament to that. But that's my story. Maybe yours is the hope that you brought to your mom, dad, family member, friend as you brought them to church and saw them come to Christ. Maybe it's just the help the practical help that you gave to someone. I never forget that day, and it's probably one of the highlights of, of my ministry life, seeing Norm stand up here very much as an, as an antagonist toward the church. He was so much an antagonist, he told us all publicly that he didn't believe in God. But he was touched by the kindness of a number of women in this church who brought around meals. I say women, we know it was the men behind the scenes cooking those meals. It was just the women that brought them around. Thanks, men. 
That would explain why it was all burnt. (laughs) I wasn't involved in that personally. But many of you were. It's part of your story. I would hate us to read the book of Acts and get down in ourselves because our story doesn't match Paul's story. I would hate for you to compare yourself to anyone and feel less about yourself and your story because it doesn't match up to someone else's story. Your story is your story. And the great thing about your story, it's continually being written. And I know there are some here tonight who haven't got all those four ingredients because they're at a different place with God. And as I often say, you're welcome. We welcome your questions. We welcome your visits. We welcome you being here as a seeker of truth. And we rejoice in how your story is going to unfold. And so my question that I want to leave with you tonight is simply this. What's your story? Where are you at in those four key ingredients? For every Christian in this place, I'd love you to do some homework this week. And write down for yourselves what you were before Christ. What it was like for you when you met Christ. What Christ has done in you. And what Christ has done for you. And when you've settled that, and when you've got that written down, and when you've got that, you know, it's in your memory, remind yourself again and again and again. Acts chapter 22, Paul in front of the crowd, this is my story. Acts 23, in front of the religious people, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is my story. In front of Festus and Felix, this is my story. In front of King Agrippa, Acts 26, this is my story. And many times his story was unlocking other people's story. And even for those who didn't want to listen, it did something to Paul's life. It strengthened his life. And it stopped him giving up. It stopped him giving in. It kept him focused. And so whether he was on the sea, whether he was in prison, whether he was being beaten and flogged, he was able to remind himself with the incredible story. And I can't help but think that many people who once enjoyed sweet fellowship with God have fallen away, no longer in fellowship because they started listening to the wrong story. You start listening to Justin Bieber's story. You start listening to Steve Jobs' story. You start listening to all these other stories and there's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves. But but when we go after those things and we lose our story, it's the beginning of the end. I feel that we should be as passionate about our decision that we made for Christ many years after. And we will be if we keep reminding ourselves. I never forget for me personally, growing up in a Christian home, But that doesn't make me a Christian. God doesn't have grandkids. I can't become a Christian because my dad's a Christian. 
I have to make a personal decision to follow Christ. And I remember growing up in a Christian home and, and being read the Word of God and it all making sense to me. And I remember at the age of 14 going to my dad saying, Dad, I want to make a commitment to follow Christ. And at that time, the church that he was attending wasn't really going that well. And my dad thought, if Tony comes to this church right now, he'll just hate it and he'll never want to come back again. And I'll never forget, I was at the beach and I said this to my dad. I said, Dad, for 14 years, you've taught me to trust you. Now you're going to have to trust me. And I got baptised on 5th of February, 1984 the day before I started work with my dad. Just turned 15 years of age. That's meaningful to me. I don't need that written down. I just remember the 5th of February, 1984, I got baptised. Some of those who were closest to me that weren't supporters of the church abused me. I mean, I copped it that day. And that's what meant something to me. I got scolded by certain people that were close to me as a result of getting baptism, baptism, baptised. And this opposition, it actually meant more to me. Never get it. It was, it was stinking hot. It was February. And I went into the water and I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be cooled off in the water, but the water was boiling hot. I never forget that. It didn't change my life. I didn't come up and the angels didn't join in in singing. I still had to go to work the next day and I still had to read my Bible. I still had to do a whole heap of normal mundane things. But it's a memory. It's a memory I remind myself. And I made a vow to myself, I never want to lose the joy of that moment. I never want to get old and fuddy and, and old. I never want to get like so many Unfortunately, I say, this with, with the, I say this with a pain in my heart. I never want to get like so many Christians who just, it becomes meaningless to them. And so I've had to hold on to those meaningful moments. It meant something to me. Starting this church meant something to me. Some of the prayers, some of the dreams, some of the conversations, some of the things we've been through. And you can imagine hanging around in one place for 18 years, you see the good, the bad and the ugly. You see it all. And in those ugly, down moments, I remind myself of my story. And I want to encourage you in this place to encourage yourself with your story. Will you please stand with me as the band comes, please. So what were you before Christ? Were you this down and out? Were you this on your last legs, near death? It's your story. Were you involved in the wrong things, doing all sorts of wrong things? It's your story. Or were you like me, had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home? It's your story. None is better or worse than the other. It's just your story. And it has power in your life.
What has Christ done for you? What has Christ done in you? I know some people are so worried and the worry brought so much fear. And as a result, they had a constant frown on their face. And since coming to Christ, they're just happy people. That's an incredible story. It's an incredible testimony. You may never have been healed. You may be walking with a limp, but you're happy. It's an incredible story. And then how God has used you. And I bet God's used every one of you more than you give yourself credit for. And the reason you fail to see it is because you're always comparing yourself to other people. And so if I can, as lovingly as I know how, say, please stop it. Stop with the comparisons. So let's just close our eyes for a moment as I pray for you. Father, I want to thank you for the incredible power of our story. We see how Paul used it in the book of Acts to great effect. We see how it encouraged him, focused him, stopped him giving up. We see how his story encouraged and blessed others. And I pray that for those that know you in this place, that we do a little bit of homework this week and Holy Spirit, you'd illuminate these four key areas in our lives. And that we'll be able to tell our story with greater gusto, greater power, greater conviction than ever before. And like Paul, I pray that it'd stop us giving up. I pray that it would stop us giving in. And I pray that it'd be a blessing to those who hear. And I ask that in Jesus' name. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.